Um, when you and I were children, there was something that we would say. If we were trying to make a pact with a buddy, um, trying to do something, there would be something that we would say to show how serious we were. I'm going to say the first part. I want you to say the second part. Cross my heart and hope to die. It's kind of morbid, right? <laughs> um, does anybody know the next part? Stick a needle in my eye. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, does it? <laughs> I don't know. I, would, I think if it was between putting a needle in my eye and death, I'm going to see Jesus really quick. <laughs> right? um, anyways, um, so it was just to show how serious we were about promises. We wanted to tell our buddies, yes, you can count on me. At a very young age, and it's a good thing, we are taught how important promises are. Hey, church, before we go any further, it should be said, especially us Christians, should be men and women of our word. What we say should be gospel. If we promise something, we should be able to fulfill it to the best of our earthly abilities. Um, that works in business. That works in families. That works in church. Wherever we are, we should be people of our words. Um, the only thing that kids could think of that was worse than dying was sticking a needle in their eye. Kids understand the importance of keeping promises. Parents have learned that they need to be very careful. I don't know about you, but something my children have said to me, if I told them I was going to do something, kids have learned uh, it's just something that they know to say, right? I don't remember telling my boys to say this. They just learned it. And then if I couldn't live up to my end of the deal, they would say something like, but you promised, Right? Doesn't that just break your heart into a million pieces? But you promise. Right? And they know how important keeping your word is. We learned how important promises are. When we say them, they need to be kept. Um, just think about it. We're going to go into election season. Are you looking forward to this? <laughs> And what are they going to do in all of the debates, in all of the commercials, in all of their grandiose speeches? They're going to promise the world, right? But what are they going to deliver? Something far less. We've come to expect this. We've come to expect this from politicians and even from people in our families, right? But tonight we're not looking at you and I. This is not a promise made between a man and man, woman and woman. This is not a promise made from us to God. I mean, if we were honest, how many times have you promised something to God and not followed through? It happens. This happened to this preacher. Um, and, but tonight, we're not looking at us promising anything to God. We're looking at God making incredible promises to a man named Abram. Look with me at Genesis chapter number 12. Verse number one, now the Lord had said unto Abram, 
Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Now, um, remember when you're trying to study the Bible, and you're trying to um, figure out the meaning behind it, you look for repeated phrases. If it's repeated, there's usually a reason for it. So really, throughout the rest of Genesis, look at the times God is talking, and he says, I will. I will. It says, unto a land that I will show thee. Look what it says. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. I like how verse 2 ends. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. We'll probably look at verse 4 more going forward, but I wanted to give you a little bit of context there. Um, So, we have looked at this covenant. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. Um, In your Bibles, there is at least eight solid covenants. I think I list them for you in your handout. There's the the Edenic, the Adamic, the Noahic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, the land covenant, and then the new covenant with Jesus. Um, This one becomes a vitally important covenant in the Old Testament. Really sets up a ton of theology for us even today that we, um, especially with circumstances going on now in Israel, Really the most important, and that could probably be argued. Um, yes, sir. I don't, did anybody in this section get the clipboard? <laughs> good man, good man. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, important could be argued depending on circumstances, but... Definitely the most foundational is the Abrahamic covenant. It governs not only God's unique relationship with Israel, but really the relationship that God has with all of the other nations in the world. This covenant, some would even say when you look at the future uh, judgments that mankind will go through, you know, you have the um, judgment seat of Christ. We believe that that is a judgment that you and I, if you're a believer, will go through. Um, you have the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. Um, that is the one where the devil, the demons, and all of the uh, lost will go through. But then there's this other one. It's by far the most difficult to interpret. It's called the judgment of the nations. And um, it's an interesting judgment. The timing of it is very debated. But a lot of pretty good theologians consider verse number three, to be a barometer for how that judgment is going to take place. Um, they call it the judgment of the nations because nations are judged based off of how they deal 
or how they dealt with Israel. Um, and they get that from that passage there. Um, this covenant is really the beginning of the formal revelation of many of the covenants of grace, of God's decision, think about it, to reach into humanity. At this point, there's millions of people, millions of people all around the world. And God reaches into humanity and specifically saves a certain person for himself. Just consider that. Just one person. The only person that God went to was a man named Abram. It comes in the form of a promise to this man. Abraham, who's the son of an idolater. We talked about that a little bit last week. Remember Terah? They get to Haran, and they just kind of stop. And many people believe the only reason why he kept going is because Terah ended up passing away. And now God comes back and says it's time to go again. Um, he didn't even know who God was, right? Um, God takes the initiative with this man, calls him into a relationship with himself, and makes just unilaterally some promises to Abraham. He didn't deserve a single one of them. He promises that Abraham is going to be a great nation, that he is going to be given a huge piece of property, a beautiful place to live, and that through him, every nation in the world will be blessed. Just note, every nation in the world will be blessed. I mean, hopefully I don't have to spell this out for you. How is every nation in the world blessed through Abraham? Because through Abraham came Jesus. And because of his line, every person in the world has access to the Heavenly Father through, their, who's, through his son, Jesus Christ. A proper understanding of this covenant is key to understanding God's purpose for Israel and the nations. Um, I believe understanding this covenant is key to understanding the book of Revelation. If you don't understand this covenant, you're not going to understand the book of Revelation. Um, as this covenant is also the basis for uh, the development of the other covenants thereafter. I mean, that's the reason why there's a Davidic covenant and the other covenants as well. In many ways, God, uh, his covenants can be seen as legal agreements between the creator and humanity or Israel. Could you imagine going into an agreement with the president of the United States? Woo! Talk about pressure. Or with um, Benjamin or Netanyahu, you know, the prime minister in Israel. Um, I mean, talk about pressure, right? Goodness. But we're talking about Abraham going into covenant with God. <laughs> I mean, man alive. That's unbelievable. Um, so the first time we read about the covenant is in Genesis 12. We're not going to look at all these passages. We might look a little bit at Genesis 15. But every passage in Genesis that has to deal with the Abrahamic covenant, um, at least very obviously, are those passages, I believe I listed them. Did I list them in your handout? Okay, very good. A covenant is agreement between two parties. This is vitally important. You need to get this. There are two basic types of covenants. There's conditional covenants and unconditional ones. A conditional or bilateral covenant is an agreement that is binding on both parties for its fulfillment. If me and Cecil had an agreement for a, um, you know, a new AC unit for my house, 
this would be a um, conditional covenant. Both parties agreed to fulfill certain terms. If either party fails to meet their responsibilities, the covenant is broken, and neither party has to fulfill any other expectation. Very similar to contracts today. An unconditional covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is at all required of the other party. The first thing worth noting from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the first thing worth noting is the fact that God ratified it with Abraham alone. As a matter of fact, even though Abraham was the recipient of the covenant and the representative of the Jewish nation, he did not actively participate in the signing of it. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that he is given an unconditional covenant. There, you don't see any requirements given to Abraham at all. God comes to him and just says, I will, I will, I will, and I will. That's all he says. History tells us that in the days of Abraham and before, when two parties, so if Cecil and I lived back in Abraham's day, and he had just invented the AC unit, and he was going to put it in my tent, and we came into an agreement, we wouldn't sign a piece of paper. We would take some of our livestock, we would kill the livestock, cut them up into large pieces, we would put one half on one side and the other half on the other side, and then we would walk through them, sometimes cutting our hands and holding them together, and there's much different ways to do it. But we would walk through them, and then we would say something like this. If I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, let me become like one of these animals. In fact, you see this play out in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is doubting that God's going to give him an heir. And at that point, he's in his 80s. Um, and he's, God, I'm too old. Can this nephew be my heir, he says. God says, no, you will have someone come from you. Um, be patient. And then he goes into this covenant ceremony with him. But instead of Abraham walking through, God causes Abraham to fall asleep, and God is the only one that walks through, signifying that this is a um, unilateral or a unconditional covenant. Just consider Five times in Genesis 12, as God is giving this covenant, he says, I will. Clearly, God takes the onus of keeping the covenant on himself. The covenant is unconditional. One day, Israel will repent, be forgiven, and be restored to God's favor. One day, the nation of Israel will possess the entire territory promised to them. We'll talk about that here in a second. One day the Messiah will return to set up his throne, and through his righteous rule the whole world will be blessed with an abundance of peace and prosperity. Later, God gave Abraham the right of circumcision as a specific sign of this covenant. All males in Abraham's line were to be circumcised and thus carry with them a lifelong mark in their flesh that they were a part of God's physical blessing in the world. God determined to call out a special people for himself. And through that special people, he would bless the entire world. Based on that promise, God later changed Abram's name. I think I give this to you. Abram's name means high father to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. 
In Genesis 17.5, as we've seen, the covenant is unconditional. It should also be taken quite literally. There's no need to spiritualize the promises to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham's descendants will be fulfilled. Everything God promised someday will come to fruition. Literally. Literally. The second important aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is the fact that since God was the only one to walk between the animals when he ratified the covenant with Abraham, and since God never changes his mind, this covenant is eternal. This covenant is still in place right now. God hasn't backed out of the deal. Israel is still his people. That's his nation. From the introductory passage in Genesis 12, I think I gave this to you too, we see some of the things that God promised. Let's consider. Abraham was the father of a great nation. That is, of course, the nation of Israel. But you can even take it a step further. And that can include, um, I mean, the people of Islam. Um, even us Christians, we can have faith roots that go back to Abraham as well. He was promised a land for his nation. Specifically, excuse me, the land of Canaan. And some of those are actually detailed in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Abraham himself was to be greatly blessed. And boy, was he. Um, many theologians will tell you that they believe Abraham was even richer than Solomon in his day. Um, very blessed. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Church, in my opinion, that is still in place today. The ones who curse Israel will be cursed. That is still in place today. Listen, I don't want to get too much into politics. But there's a reason why the area around the nation of Israel always struggles. It's because of how they treat Israel. And there's a reason for it. Um, in Abraham, all will be blessed. Other nations, in addition to Israel, would come from Abraham. Circumcision was to be a sign of the covenant. These clauses always fall into one of three categories. The first is ones that specifically apply just to Abraham. He was going to be the father of a great nation. He surely was. The second is Israel. As a nation was going to be promised greatness, um, promised a myriad of descendants as well as the whole promised land. God promised that the number of Abraham's children would rival the dust of the earth, Genesis 15, 16. Nations and kings would proceed from this man named Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 6. It is significant that the promise was given to an aged, childless couple. Abraham did not waver through unbelief, Romans 4 tells us, and his wife Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise, in Hebrews 11, verse 11. Abraham was justified by faith alone, Genesis 15, verse 6. And his wife welcomed Isaac, the son of promise, into their home. Does anybody remember how old they were? He was, she was 90, and he was, I think Brother Sam, 100 years old. Somebody needs to go tell Brother Sam he's uh, <laughs> years old. Goodness gracious. But they never doubted, it says. They never wavered in their faith. God reiterates this covenant to Isaac and to his son Jacob, whose name God changes to Israel. The great nation is eventually established in the land where Abraham had dwelled. King David 
one of Abraham's many descendants is given this new covenant called the Davidic covenant, promising a son of David who would one day rule over the entire Jewish nation and all nations from Jerusalem. Many other Old Testament prophecies point to the blessed future fulfillment of that promise. Isaiah 11, this covenant, Abraham's covenant, also included a promise of blessing and redemption. All the earth will be blessed through Abraham. This promise finds its fulfillment in the new covenant. I want you to go with me. Find Jeremiah chapter number 31. You're going to want to mark these down. Take a right hand at Isaiah. Take a left hand turn at Ezekiel. And you will find Jeremiah. Chapter 31, please. And we will start in verse 31. This definitely needs to be marked in your Bible. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make, do you notice again what it says? I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenants I made with their fathers. Obviously, that's talking about Abraham and Moses and them. And the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. They will be and, I, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Beautiful fulfillment to this covenant here, talking to Abraham. Abraham was told by God that he and the Jewish people would come become a covenant people and reap the promises of this covenant simply because God said so. No strings attached. Thus, the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. The three main aspects of this covenant can be categorized as the land covenant, the seed covenant, and the blessing covenant. The land is further expanded into the land covenant. If you read Deuteronomy 29, I think I give this to you. Chapters 29 and 30, you'll find in there explained all of the borders for this land covenant. The seed is developed into the Davidic covenant, obviously talking about the Messiah. The blessing comes through the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Furthermore, the unconditional and eternal covenant with Abraham has been confirmed through only one of Abraham's sons. Did you know Abraham had eight sons? The son of promise is Isaac, as well as Isaac's son, Jacob. This covenant was also confirmed through Jacob's 12 sons who represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Finally, we must look at the Abrahamic covenant and its fulfillment. The main item that has yet to be fulfilled is the land aspect of the covenant. I don't care what the news tells you, that is Israel's 
land. And in fact, most of that land over there is Israel's land. Do you realize that even after Joshua conquered the promised land and conquered the promised land, they still didn't get all of the land that God intended them for them to have. There has never been a point in history where Israel occupied all of the land that God had promised to them. There hasn't been one day of it since God promised. You know what happened? Joshua allowed certain people groups to stay, to occupy certain parts of the land when God had told them not to. And then Israel would get into slavery and come back and get smaller and smaller and smaller. And what they have now is just a small fraction of what they should have. The boundaries described here are to be fulfilled during the Messianic kingdom, a promise that believers can easily grasp, since the covenant is eternal and unconditional. This covenant was sealed between Abraham and God of Israel. As early as Genesis 15, regardless of God's timetable for the fulfillment of the entire Abrahamic covenant, it remains foundational to God's dealing with Israel and the nations as God chose to make it eternal and unconditional. Any questions before I wrap it up? Three things. Let's wrap it up. What can we learn about God from this covenant? The first thing, you should write this down. I don't know if I give these to you or not, but you should write this down. God is the God of promises. All throughout the Bible, God says, I will. And every time he says, I will, he does. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. It comes true. Now, in our Christian American culture, we put a lot of words in God's mouth that he did not say. Hear me. God never promised to keep you from trouble. Abraham still had a lot of trouble, right? Um, David still had a lot of trouble. The apostles following Jesus still had a lot of trouble. Um, talk to any pastor, any person in ministry, they'll tell you they still have a lot of trouble. God never promised you. If you listen to a preacher and he promises that if you follow God, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, turn the TV off because he's lying to you. I promise you that. Um, just look at our prayer list. There are people there dealing with the loss of loved ones. There are people there that are sick. There are people there that are hurting. And I know most of them. And I would say they're Christians. But God is the God of promise. And here's something that you and I should hold tight to. The Bible says that all things will work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean today's going to be good. It just means that it will work towards good. So hear me. Be patient. Trust God. He's never failed to live up to a promise. He's not going to start with you. Number two, God is the God of enduring promises. I'll be honest. There are plenty of times where I've promised things to my kids. I just forgot. <laughs> Anybody else? Don't look at me like this. Come on. Anybody else? 
Come on, John. <laughs> Anybody? Just, you're leaving me up here by myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I forget. But you know who never forgets? Cooper and Parker. <laughs> never forget. Uh, isn't it good to know that if God said it, he has never forgotten? It's still there. It's, it's still, he's still faithful. He's still faithful. Just think about it. Israel, and we're going to study a story from them in a couple weeks. They were some of the most complaining, grumbling, murmuring people God ever created. And God still loved them and still loves them. Hear me, friend. God's not going to forget. It's still there. And then number three. Not only does he promise things, not only does he never forget, God also fulfills the promises. Just consider. Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. So almost directly in between us and Abraham, God fulfilled what should be the most amazing I will in Genesis chapter 12. It wasn't the land, though that's going to be a pretty amazing day when they get their land. It was when Jesus came. Jesus, through the line of Abraham, through the line of David, born in a little town called Bethlehem, born to a virgin, like Isaiah told us would happen, named Mary. Born without sin nature, without spot of anything wrong. Lived and died with ever, without ever saying a word amiss or failing to live up to a promise or getting angry out of turn. This man named Jesus never sinned. This man named Jesus lived and died and he did so with a purpose. The purpose was to live to save sinners and then his death was to fulfill that purpose to save you and me. If we ever doubt the goodness of our God, if we ever doubt that God doesn't keep his word, if we ever doubt things like this, all we must do is look to Jesus. Because Jesus is God's stamp that says, I keep my word. Because Jesus went to a cruel cross, died a death that I deserved, took my sin debt and paid it in full. So that one day I can stand before God in heaven, completely forgiven and redeemed. Friend, on that day, we will sing new songs about a God who keeps his word. Can I ask, I don't know what you're going through, but has the devil began to sneak in doubts? Has he began to whisper things in your ears that makes you doubt God's word. Friend, he's been doing that since the beginning. Christian, don't let him. Jesus came, he conquered the cross, and he conquered death and sin on the cross so that when we have those moments, we can have the courage and the confidence to beat the devil at his own game. Take the stamp. Say, God kept his word, and he's not going to stop today. Why don't we stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.
Brother Larry, would you pray for us, please? 